Beloved Church of God, beginning our divine service before the Lord, let us stand and affirm with a proclamation of the faith of our heart the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the blood of the covenant to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, stagnancy, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your might, and may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit, fill us with your Holy Spirit, and allow us to find your holy countenance. We thank you that this service is presented by Apostle Arkady into your divine arms, and we ask you to continue to lead it with your high and uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May you be blessed. Please be seated. The book of the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Return to the ancient path of goodness. To look at the foundation of our study of the ancient path of goodness, we turn to the words of Apostle Paul, who, by the mercy and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in short and concise definitions, was able to formulate the contents of the order present in the teaching of Christ. These are written of in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. And Apostle Arkady presents them to us in an expanded version of the translation so that we can understand the significance of this place, the depth of this place of Scripture, and its importance to us. And it will sound as the following. Therefore, sprinkling ourselves with the ringing teachings of Christ, and having been clothed in the armor of light contained in the reign of this teaching, let us go on to perfection and build ourselves into the house of God, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. This is the expanded version of the words of Apostle Paul, who said, and therefore, having left the teachings of the reigning teachings of Christ. And given that people did not want to look into what it meant, what it meant to lift, to leave, or to leave for us, for the Slavic culture, oftentimes when we hear to leave means to put somewhere on the shelf and to hurry away to a different direction. But here Apostle Arkady has shown us that it turns out that to leave is to leave among ourselves, to lay it as a foundation and to begin to sprinkle our, ourselves through our proclamation, the reigning teachings of Christ, so that we can be built into the house of God. This is what it means to leave the reigning teachings of Christ. 
This is to begin to sprinkle ourselves with this teaching and to sprinkle ourselves with this reigning teaching. It must, as a foundation, be laid in our heart. And then with this foundation, we must renew our thinking and then begin to proclaim it with our meek lips. In a certain format, as much as God and the level of our faith have allowed us, we have already studied the doctrine of baptisms in its three functions. This is baptism in water, Holy Spirit, and fire, as well as the doctrine of laying on of hands in its three functions, the covenant of blood, salt, and rest. And we've stopped to study the doctrine of resurrection of the dead, which in Scripture is presented in the dimension of the western side of heavenly Jerusalem. The doctrine of resurrection from the dead. And first, we highlighted what for us represents the doctrine of resurrection of the dead in its essence. First, the doctrine of resurrection introduces a person to the family of God or makes him God's belonging. First John 5, 1 says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. We must know who is the believer. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, Scripture says. It turns out that it's not enough to just believe. You know, I believe that there is somebody out there, that there is truly someone out there, and this might be Jesus Christ, or Allah, they say, or someone else. But there is truly someone but scripture says we must believe in this person and know who it is who this person is for us what they have done for us and how we need to collaborate with this person and we need to seal our faith in water baptism therefore whoever believes it's whoever will believe and will be baptized because in baptism we make a covenant with god so all of the covenants, contracts with God, are made in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Furthermore, talking about what the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead presents, uh, for a second, it resists uh, the triumph of victory over the second death. 1 Peter 3.21 There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the renewal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We receive salvation in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In death, we make a covenant, and in resurrection, we receive the fullness of His salvation, and we receive authority over the second death. Furthermore, the doctrine of resurrection is called to grow a person into a perfect man into the full measure of the stature of Christ. 1 Peter 2.2 says, As a newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. And this pure milk of the word is that word that we hear. It is that word that we hear for someone it's going to be pure milk. That word that we hear for someone it's going to be like a winnowing fan that's going to cleanse our heart from all kinds of vile and dead works. For someone this word that we hear is going to be a foundation. For someone this word that we hear is going to be the pearly gates. For someone this is going to be the royal word. God uses one and the same word from the lips of his messenger and some he feeds with milk and others listen to the very same sermon but they receive solid food from there and whether or not we eat pure milk or solid food we can test by how we live how we think and what we speak and say 
we don't need to go far off. We can take a look at how we dress, how we are dressing. When we come to the Church of God, how do we dress? I can look at a person and say, who looks at pure milk and who, uh, who feeds from solid food? We do not come to church like to a disco party. We come as kings and priests. And we look at, for example, how we have royal families. For example, in England, we have a royal family. Take a look at how they walk and dress. The men are very strict in ties. The women, although they might act freely, but they are dressed very beautifully, very carefully. This is a royal family. They don't have any right to behave differently. We, in the same way, it's very important how we dress in church to service when we honor God. Of course, we not, should not be based on the garments of a person, but the garments of a person tell us something about this person. We, when we greet a person, we greet him according to his relationship to the truth. I just want to mention that we should not forget the format of holiness regarding garments. The doctrine of the resurrection of Christ is the day of Christ or year of the redeemed, which, although is found in time, is not bound to time, since it rules over time and dominates over time. Isaiah 63, verse 4, For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come year of who was redeemed, those that dwell in the resurrection of Christ. Furthermore, the doctrine of resurrection is the necessary and fateful process of renewal that is made in three levels of birth that are called to act in the span of one human life. This is the process, the process that it may is made in three levels of birth. And it is called to act in the span of one human life. Psalms 103, verse 5, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Furthermore, the doctrine of the resurrection contains in itself three levels of births, which in their union are defined by Scripture as being born of God. So all of these three formats of birth is birth from above and birth from God. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Jesus answered to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a doctor of theology. He was very highly respected and valued in Israel. Jesus answered to him, This was a secret disciple of Christ who came to learn from him at night. At, in, the, in, the, in the day he passed on the truths that he heard from Jesus with his interpretation. In the synagogue and temple, they were uh, stunned. What are you you're saying new truths to us? He got them from Jesus at night and then passed them on. And we look at how Jesus explains to him. For Jesus says to Nicodemus, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He who is born from the flesh is flesh, but he who is born of the Spirit is spirit. From the semantic meaning of this dialogue, it follows that birth from the water and the Spirit opens the door to entry into the kingdom of heaven, or the possibility to be born to the throne. Birth from water and spirit allows us to enter into the kingdom of heaven in which we will be able to be born to the throne. 
though there is birth to the throne without the birth from water and spirit this is impossible to do from these lofty principles he spoke together with Nicodemus he wanted Nicodemus to be in the kingdom he wanted to see Nicodemus on the throne and I think it is possible that this person is located there given the relationship to the body of Christ and how he acted toward the body of Christ You have to understand these words and live according to them. And therefore, in a certain format, in the doctrine of resurrection, we have already studied the level of birth from water. Let us turn to the truth that is contained in the powers that are found in birth from the Spirit. In the twelve foundations of the walls of Jerusalem, birth from the Spirit is the eighth foundation and this eighth foundation was made out of the precious barrel stone. Revelation 21, verses 14 and 20, it says, Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, the eighth barrel. And so birth from the Spirit, the eighth foundation, is the precious stone barrel. The precious stone barrel, in Greek, it means Berulos, it includes all varieties of emerald, is close to the color sea green, shimmering in gold, and is transparent as air. However, sometimes this gem can simultaneously cast different shades, shades of pink, blue, and green. The ancient wise men called it the stone of the four winds, or the stone holding in submission the four winds of the earth. Its color scheme is found in all twelve bases and on all twelve precious stones located on the breastplate of judgment of the high priest, from which we can conclude that when God builds a relationship with a person through the powers contained in birth of the Spirit, He speaks to the person through Urim and Thummim with the voice of the wind in the face of the Holy Spirit, which in this foundation represents the powers of the four winds in the name of the Apostle Matthew the tax collector. As we will see further, it is the degree of birth from the Spirit that a person gets the opportunity to bind himself to the Holy Spirit and thus to be led by the Holy Spirit. And God at this very moment gets the opportunity to establish himself by his Father, as written. Romans chapter 8 verses 14 through 16, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of a bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are led by the Holy Spirit, we are the sons of God, and we call out to the Father, Abba, Father. This all tells us that we are the children of God. We collaborate with this precious foundation and with this precious stone barrel. With all this, it should be remembered that a person who has received baptism in the Holy Spirit in a state of infancy remains carnal and does not become spiritual at that hour because he is still unable to be led by the Holy Spirit. For this purpose, he needs to be born from the Spirit.
The function of being born of the Spirit should not be confused with the functions contained in baptism in the Holy Spirit, because with the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we are immersed in the death of Christ. At the same time, when we are born of the Spirit, we are clothed with the power of His resurrection. We right now are studying specifically birth from the Spirit, what it contains in itself and how it expresses itself. So we can receive baptism in the Holy Spirit with the gift of tongues, being even a small child. Our pastor received it at 8 years old. We have some children that have received it 10, 12 years old. And this is good. But the powers that God has made in birth from the Spirit or baptism in the Holy Spirit, the powers in baptism in the Holy Spirit can be uncovered only in birth from the Spirit. And in order to be born from the Spirit, it is first necessary when we come to the perfect age or to the right age to make with God a baptism in water, where we in baptism in water make with God a covenant that is based on the blood. And then, if we are already baptized in the Holy Spirit with the gift of speaking in tongues, we must remember that, Lord, I already have this baptism. Now I need to allow this baptism to immerse me into the death of the Lord Jesus so that those powers that are in baptism in the Holy Spirit and those speaking of tongues that I received when I was a child, they can come to power. And it comes to power when we are born from the Spirit. When we are born from the Spirit. So, it can't, the powers of baptism in the Holy Spirit can't be uncovered just because we speak in tongues. Baptism in the Holy Spirit uncovers its powers in resurrection. In resurrection. And in resurrection, we uncover the powers of the Spirit, of birth from the Spirit. And what is interesting is that birth from water, birth from Spirit, birth to the throne is called the doctrine of resurrection. What is resurrection? Resurrection is the result of death. Something was alive, and then this alive became dead, and this dead then was resurrected. Pay attention here. Birth from water, birth from the Spirit, and birth to the throne, they are found in the doctrine of resurrection from the dead, resurrection of the dead. What the question then is this. Why did the Lord place it or call it this way? Because God, without the death of Christ, cannot do anything for us. We have baptism, wa uh, water, doctrine of baptism, doctrine of laying on of hands, third, doctrine of resurrection of the dead, and only fourth, doctrine of eternal judgment. And in Israel, we will say, in order to be circumcised or to make a baptism in water, it was necessary to be born. And when a person is born on the eighth day, he was circumcised. And after a child was circumcised on the eighth day, he was given a name. Why is birth from water, birth from spirit, and birth to the throne is on the third substance after baptism? It turns out that birth uh, reveals itself in the first, first part. But why did the Lord place it after baptisms? Because that birth that does not reveal itself in resurrection, and it can reveal itself in resurrection only after baptism, it is not then birth. Therefore, if a person believes that Jesus is the Son of God, and he has not made water baptism, and he has not made a covenant, then this faith will give him nothing. He will perish, and he will perish. Therefore, we must understand that the birth that God presents to us in its three functions, it finds itself in doctrine of resurrection of the dead. So it is necessary for us to have death after which results resurrection. And this is a very important component that is necessary for us to understand. However, let's turn to the meaning of the name of the Apostle written on the eighth foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem, which will help us to see these differences. 
Matthew chapter 10, verse 2. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. He was the eighth. And this name, Matthew the tax collector, we will stop to study further. It is significant that the profession of Apostle Matthew has been raised here to the rank and dignity of his middle name. The word tax collector means duty, tribute, or tax, referring to the government or the government tax, which points to the fact that when the Lord called Matthew to follow him, he was a government official serving as a tax collector in the tax department. Taxes, or as we call it here today in America again, taxes, this, these belong to the government and anyone who encroaches on this belonging, if it is revealed, will not remain without severe punishment. This is an analog of the law, which is also present in a state called the Kingdom of Heaven, whose branches on earth are local congregations of believers in Christ Jesus. The difference between the world and the church that lives in this world but does not belong to it is that the saints belonging to God, first of all, are considered the holy themselves and only then their offerings clothed in the format of tithes. Here's the difference, the difference that we see here. In the church, these are tithes. This first is a holy person, and then a person expresses this through his offering and the giving to God of tithes and offerings in the format of tithes and offerings. Exalting the function of a tax collector in the second name of the Apostle, the Holy Spirit wanted to show that in the eighth foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem, this function consists in separating the elect from among the called ones who belong to God and are holy unto God. So the function of this name, Matthew the tax collector, means to from the called, separate the chosen, separate the tithe, separate what is holy unto God that is found in all churches and all temples, confessions, and denominations. And now, more specifically, let's look at the very name Matthew. Matthew means a gift from God or a messenger of God. However, Matthew the tax collector had another name by which he is called by the evangelist John. This name is Levi Alphaeus. Alphaeus is the father of Matthew, Levi. Levi Alphaeus. It turns out that Matthew the tax collector was just his nickname, we'll say. His nickname. Matthew the tax collector was his nickname. Everyone knew what they, who, who they were talking about. Are you talking about Levi Alphaeus? Yes. Levi Alphaeus, they knew as Matthew the tax collector. Levi, the son of Alphaeus, or he who belongs to Alphaeus. The name Levi, this is the name of Matthew, the tax collector, his true name, his first name, Matthew, the tax collector, his name means Levi. 
and it means attached. In the name of his father, Alphaeus, Matthew the tax collector, means famous or well-known. So Alphaeus, the father of Matthew the tax collector or Levi, means famous. This name comes from the Greek form of Cleopas. However, Alphaeus, the father of the Apostle Matthew, the tax collector, among the disciples most often was called Cleopa. So Cleopa is the father of Matthew, the tax collector. And by the way, Cleopa was the husband of Mary's sister, the mother of Jesus. So Alphaeus Cleopa was an uncle for Jesus. And Matthew, the tax collector, or Levi Alphaeus, his son was Jesus' cousin. So Matthew the tax collector was the cousin of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew the tax collector was his nickname. Everyone knew who, who he was, but his, uh, his real name was Levi Alphaeus, Levi the son of Alphaeus. Thus, based on the meaning contained in the four names of the Apostle Matthew, the tax collector called Levi Alphaeus, engraved on the eighth foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem, it means the famous messenger of the Father, called to collect what is holy unto the Lord in the face of the chosen, in order to bind them to the best vine. So here we include Matthew, the tax collector, Levi, and Alphaeus all together. Pastor took these four functions of these four names, and from them he had shown us this unique formula and truth which the Lord Jesus had placed in the name of the Apostle that is engraved on the eighth foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem. Let's again read it. What Matthew, the tax collector, called Levi Alphaeus means. Here's what his name means. It is the famous messenger of the Father, called to collect what is holy unto the Lord in the face of the chosen in order to bind them to the best vine. Genesis 49, 11-12 says, Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Well, now, in order to penetrate the authority contained in the name of Matthew, the tax collector, we first of all need to investigate in what cases this name and its functions expressed in binding, in the binding of the holy things of the Lord to the vine of the choicest grapes is found in Scripture. With all this, let us remember that the functions contained in the name of Matthew, the tax collector, can occur only with the cooperation of man with God in the powers contained in the birth from the Spirit where each party is assigned their own role, which cannot be cancelled and cannot be performed by anyone else. Therefore, in order to work with God in building in our heart the eighth foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem, we need not only to investigate the functions contained in the powers of the name of Matthew the tax collector written on this foundation, but also the roles that God implies in this name both for himself and for us. And so let us take a look at all of these components that will allow us to acknowledge the essence of this eighth foundation, birth from the Spirit and what it, it contains in itself. 
and St. Matthew the tax collector, Levi Alphaeus, will help us to understand the essence, the essence of what birth from the Spirit is. And are we all born from the Spirit? We can speak in tongues. This is a sign that we have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But perhaps our baptism ceased to be baptism, our circumcision ceased to be circumcision. Why? Because baptism in the Holy Spirit is defined by the presence of resurrection that expresses itself in birth from the Spirit. If we have not been born from the Spirit and we continue to speak in tongues, then baptism in the Holy Spirit has dropped down to nothing. It lost its powers. That's why birth from the Spirit will help us to see if we are spiritual or not. And this is defined by the collaboration of the fact whether or not we will be able to be tied to the choicest grapevine. Let's take a look at those components that will that Apostle Arkady prompts us to look at. The first component of the powers containing the name Matthew the tax collector as the gatherer of what is holy and binding it to Christ is the gathering of waters that are under heaven in one place. This is where we see the name Matthew. This is the ability of God to gather the waters that are under heaven in one place. And this is going to be in Genesis chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. Then God said, Let the waters under heavens be gathered together into one place. In this word, gathered, here we see the name Matthew, the tax collector, present. Gathered means from the category of the called to separate his, uh, his chosen remnant from them. God said, let the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. We know that the ultimate goal of such a creative act is to illustrate a person a person who has the image and likeness of God with whom God could share his fellowship. For this, it is necessary to gather the water in its place so that the land could be seen which God called earth. What does it mean to gather the water in its place? All of these salty waters had to be gathered together in its place and they had to be called then seas. The collection of salty waters in one place is the collection of saints or the separation of the holy saints of the Lord and tying them to the best vine of grapes. We today gathered in this place and this is the collection of salty waters in the, in the gathering of saints while fresh waters in the form of rivers heading to the seas are the image of the reigning teaching of Christ who came in the flesh or the ancient path of goodness leading to the rest of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And therefore, until the water in the face of the chosen remnant gathers under heaven in one place, which is the body of Christ, the land cannot be shown in the subject of the human heart, which will become the place for the dwelling of the seed of the kingdom of heaven. So then how is God going to sow His Word on the earth, in the soil of our heart? It is necessary so that all of these salty waters can be gathered on Tuesday at 7 p.m., Friday at 7 p.m., on Sunday at 12 p.m. Also, cell groups for them to be gathered at cell groups. 
And when they are all gathered together, these saints, then for them appears dry land. Why is dry land necessary? So that there could be sown the seed of the word of God. And when saints gather into one place from the heights of the mountains, there are rivers of fresh waters that flow down that then end up in big waterfalls, rivers. And where do these rivers strive? All rivers head to the sea and the ocean. That's why when we gather upon this place, we must understand the Lord, we have gathered to this place as salty water, as your saints, so that the dry land can appear. The dry land is the readiness to accept your word into my heart. And when this dry land appears, fresh waters flow to it, the waters of life, the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. That's why it's highly important to gather together. Apostle Paul says, do not leave your assembly as some have the habit of doing. This is not a good habit. We must gather as seas in one place that will then allow the revelations of the Holy Spirit to fill us with His revelations. And in these revelations and these waterfalls to direct them to the rivers and the seas, to direct them to us so that then we can offer fruit on that land which was shown. That's why it is necessary to gather the waters in one place so that the dry land could appear, a prepared heart to accept the word of God, and then so that fresh water, the word of God, can flow there, the teaching. Ecclesiastes 4.17 says, Walk prudently when you go into the house of God and be ready to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. And so when we go into the house of God, what do we do? The seas appear, the dry land appears, and now we are ready to hear. How important it is that to attend that service that we come to and that service in which we dwell in. Not all have the opportunity to be present in this service due to their health, Perhaps they are on vacation, perhaps they have left due to work, but with their spirit they are present, and we are present with them. Although they might, uh, for proper reasons, la uh, lack in their presence in, in the body. And these rivers of water flowed to everyone who was partaking to uh, this body. And this was a beautiful component that we looked at, where Matthew the tax collector was revealed in the first book, Genesis. Let's move on further. The second component of the power contained in the name Matthew the tax collector. Matthew the tax collector. He was the gatherer of uh, taxes, but the Lord called him and says, now you will, will gather my saints. He says, Lord, will I work in the IRS? I work with the what is hallowed unto the government. He says, now you will gather what is hallowed unto me. Gather my saints and tie them to the choicest best vine. And he went, he went after his cousin. Second component of the powers containing the name Matthew, the tax collector, as the gatherer of what is holy and binding it to Christ, is a thorough cleaning of the threshing floor and the gathering of wheat into God's barn. Luke chapter 3, verse 17. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Considering that the grain of wheat is the image of Christ, then the wheat... The wheat are his twins and belongings that abide in the preached word and in whom the preached word abides. A winnowing fan 
thoroughly cleaning out the threshing floor is the preached word of the messengers of God about sanctification. John chapter 15, verse 3, it is written, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Here we see this winnowing fan present through the word which the Lord preaches to his messenger. Before binding a holy person to the vine of the choicest grape, which is a territory of the kingdom of heaven, he, as one who is hallowed unto God, must first be separated from everything and from all those who are not this belonging. As scripture says, he will clean his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn. First, he needs to clear his threshing floor to be able to then gather his wheat. That's why it's necessary to separate ourselves from all that which is not holy unto him. Because communication with those who are not holy unto the Lord is defined by Scripture as bowing under someone else's yoke with the unbelievers and as an attempt of righteousness to communicate with lawlessness. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14-17, through 17, it is written, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness, and what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has a temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. This is the decree that we see in the format of a military order. Now let's look at the next passage. Very, very important to listen to. Very important to listen to. An attempt to sanctify the unbelievers with fellowship. Those unbelievers who oppose the truth, legalized sin and do not consider it a sin, is considered by Scripture as self-deception and as ignorance of who God is originally by nature. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 33 through 34 it is written, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good morals. Do not sin. For I will say that some of you do not know God. God by His original nature is holy. That is why He calls those who come to Him to be sanctified. Leviticus 20.26 And you shall be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. The chosen who make up the remnant and hallow of the Lord are a category of people who will work with the truth about sanctification for one purpose, to bind themselves to the vine of the choicest grapes. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 14 through 16 Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness bringing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. And so, have peace with all and holiness. Scripture says, without which no one will be able to see the Lord. Scripture says, without which no one will be able to see the Lord. Meaning, peace and holiness 
important two important words the lord elevates holiness to a high level and says without this quality no one will be able to see the lord and if for this reason it is necessary to break our relationship and as apostle arkadi had right to not be self-deceptive meaning i will try to sanctify the unbelievers with my fellowship here pastor tells us do not be deceived bad company corrupts good morals this was an interesting second component take a look at how well matthew the tax collector helps us to understand the concept of holiness third the powers contained in the name matthew the tax collector as the gatherer of what is holy and binding it to christ is the time for casting away stones and a time for gathering them ecclesiastes chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 to everything there is a season a time for every purpose under heaven a time to cast away stones and a time to gather them both the scattering of stones and time and collecting these stones is a kind of pre-planned action of god everything that god does with the instrument of time and in time pursues one single goal this is to revive to a new life and to form a certain group of people in the image of his son that he can abide in them and they can abide in him he gives birth to us and he formulates us into his image through what he does with us he gathers stones and then he scatters stones and then he gathers them and therefore by the time expressed in the scattering of stones and then in the collection of the same stones that were previously scattered we mean actions associated with certain people who are holy unto the heavenly father jeremiah chapter 31 verses 10 through 11 hear the word of the lord o nations and declare it in the isles afar off and so declare it to the isles afar off means say to god's chosen remnant to the saints these are isles afar off and say he who scattered israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock for the lord has redeemed jacob and ransomed him from the hand of one stronger than he he who scatters israel would gather him it says because he is a shepherd of his flock in this place of scripture we are talking about that category of people who not only will be scattered but also collected again luke chapter 22 verses 31 through 32 it is written the lord said simon simon indeed satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat so that he may scatter you as stones but i have prayed for you that your faith should not fail when you have returned to me strengthen your brethren so the lord says i will gather you again together and you are going to need to affirm your brothers strengthen your brethren so the lord can scatter and the lord can then gather and he does this for the very reason that those who were born to a new life so that in them can be formed a certain image an image of his son the son of god that's why he behaves toward them as stones he scatters them and then he gathers them 
he scatters them in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then he receives them when he gathers them in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we must understand that all of these actions, as Pastor has shown us, they are pre-planned, pre-planned actions of God. That's why, that's why we, during isolation, were scattered from one another. We must understand that this was an action that was pre-planned by God. For those who are born from the word of truth, that in them can be illuminated the image of the Son of God. The Lord scattered us and all of us were in a scattered state, like scattered stones. And then God again gathered us, but not uh, in a full collection. There is some, there is people not yet among us. Someone has perhaps left eternity. Someone perhaps has left church. Why does the Lord scatter and then gather? Matthew, the tax collector, it's necessary for him to find what is hallowed in the church of God. And to find what is hallowed, he uses the powers of Matthew, the tax collector. He scatters the stones. People then are tempted. I don't agree with this. I don't agree with that. On what basis? Why this? Why that? Well, friends, this is a pre-planned action of God. And then when he gathers, we say, praise God. The threshing floor has been cleaned. This is not enough. Now he does the next. He leaves us and he removes the person who represents for us the fatherhood of God. And we, right now, right now, we are found in a scattered state. We must understand this fully well, that we right now are in isolation. God has not ended his sanctification. We right now are scattered. And scripture says, I will take away the shepherd and the flock will be scattered. Why does God scatter and then gather to show his church? that He, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the shepherd. Apostles are sub-pastors. We, helpers, are sub-pastors of the apostle. Home group leaders are sub-pastors of the apostles and pastors in the church. So when the Lord gather, scatters something and then gathers, He says, I do this only for the very reason that you may know that I am the shepherd of the flock. And each time He scatters the stones and then gathers them again, the church, it is then uh, in a smaller number. And right now, when we don't have apostle with us, among us, we have lost certain people. But we must understand that Matthew the tax collector is doing his work. And you know what is joyful? That these are just on one, these are very, very few people. This means that the church has already been scattered and gathered, scattered and gathered so many times that we have been sanctified. But we are constantly in the same quantity that we are gathering. This is very valuable and this brings joy. Yes, of course, there are those um, few people that are those that are killing themselves off. The fourth component of the powers contained in the name Matthew the tax collector as the gatherer of what is holy and binding it to Christ is tying a scarlet cord to the window of our heart. John chapter Joshua chapter 2 verses 18 through 21 says uh, unless when we come into the land you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down and unless you bring your father your mother your brothers and all your father's household to your home so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street his blood shall be on his own head and we will be guiltless 
and whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath which you made us swear. Then she said, According to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. Jericho. Jericho, very unique when Pastor begins to show us those principles that are found in these revelations. Jericho is a city of palm trees, a city of righteousness. The judgment rendered by God for this city said that this righteousness was not the righteousness of faith, and the basis of this righteousness was not redemption expressed in the grace of God, but rather human reasoning and all kinds of religious deeds. The righteousness according to works that are founded on the law of works and not according to faith. The two spies are the image of the Word of God coming from the mouth of God and the image of the Holy Spirit who were sent by God with one purpose, to separate what is holy unto the Lord in the face of the inhabitants of Jericho, Rahab and her house, and bind them to salvation. Working with the truth and tying oneself to the vine of the choicest grapes in this event is tying a scarlet cord to the window of our heart, which was called to be a guarantee of salvation. So, this uh, tied scarlet cord to the window was called to be for Rahab and her household to be a guarantee of salvation for the house of her father. However, the condition on the basis of which the agreement on such cooperation was concluded lies in the stalks of flax on the roof in which a resident of Jericho named Rahab hid two spies from the hands of the Jericho king who wanted to capture them. Joshua chapter 2 verses 3 through 6 So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house. For they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened, as the gate was being shut when it was dark, that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she laid in order on the roof. So she hid them in the stalks of flax which she had laid in the order on the roof. And what is this roof? Uh, the roof of Rahab's house is an image of thinking renewed by the spirit of her mind, while the stalks of flax are an image of death and resurrection. Scripture says, Proverbs 23:7, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. This, as we had read together through the labes of pastor, this is a revolutionary revelation that God God values the righteousness of our heart not according to the lusts that are found in our body and that are resistant to God. God judges us based on our what, what's in our head and not the lusts that are at war in our body. And He says, friends, ponder upon what is heavenly that my Father will give you the highest appraisal how do we ponder upon what is heavenly? We must have these stalks of flax 
And we must contain two spies there, hide two spies there, the word and the word that is anointed by the Holy Spirit. And the Lord judges us based on what we think in our soul and not by the lusts that are in our body. Devil is based on that which is found in our body. He says, look at your, what your desires are. Look at what desires you have. This is who you are. You are my servant. The Lord says, no. He says, look at those thoughts that are found in your thinking. I have accepted the truth of God. I begin to ponder upon it and thank God for it. And in doing so, the Lord gives us this high appraisal. How important it is to have thoughts of the word of God in our, in our thinking, in our mind. Very important, because for as he thinks in his heart, or rather his soul, so is he. And the scarlet cord is the doctrine about redemption in which a person from the category of God's enemies passes into the category of the heritage of God. The window, which the scarlet cord was tied to, are meek lips that proclaim the faith of the heart and who God is for them and what God has done. Therefore, the scarlet cord tied to the window is a seal of righteousness, testifying before God that this person is holy unto God. Such a seal gives God a legal right to deliver the house of such a person from his wrath on the day of his visit. How necessary it is to have the scarlet cord that was tied to our window. What kind of window? Our roof. What kind of roof? Roof that have stalks of flax. What are containing these stalks of flax? Holy Spirit and the Word of God and the scarlet cord is the truth about redemption when we begin to proclaim the truth with our lips. That's why this is the seal of righteousness that testifies before God that I am hallowed or holy unto the Lord. And let's take a look at where else we see about this seal. Exodus 28, 36-38 shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And you shall put it on a blue cord that it may be on the turban. It shall be on the front of the turban. So it shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hallow in all their holy gifts. It turns out that the first priest had entered into the presence of God also on his turban, his turban on his head, there was a golden uh, plate that had the engraving of it, holiness to the Lord, which testified that I have in my thinking stalks of flax in which there are two spies hidden, which were sent by God, meaning the preached word anointed by the Holy Spirit, which taught me the truth. And now when I release them through my window, through my lips, here are the lips of our roof, the window of our roof. These are our lips. Let it be to me according to your word. I accept what the man of God has told me. And now the scarlet cord, it is going to be salvation. Now we begin to thank God for that truth that we have accepted. Lord, I accept it. I thank you for it. I thank you for this truth. And now every day I begin to thank God. The scarlet cord must always must always hang from this uh, from this window. We've accepted the word of God. And then each day we affirm this truth. And in the book of the Songs of Solomon, this seal under the name Holy Unto the Lord, which yields a subject of pure thinking, is expressed in grazing their goats and the subject of their thinking, renewed by the Holy Spirit near the shepherds' as tents. Songs of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. Tell me, O you whom I love, where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon. For why should it be as one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? You do not know, O fairest among women, 
follow in the footsteps of the flock and feed your little goats beside the shepherds' tents. There's an interesting fourth component. Now, the fifth component of the powers containing the name Matthew the tax collector as the gatherer of what is holy and binding it to Christ is cooperation with the Holy Spirit who feeds his flock in the gardens and gathers lilies. Songs of Solomon 6, 2-3 My beloved has gone to his garden, to the beds of spices, to feed his flock in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He feeds his flock among the lilies. So the beloved gathers his lilies. To feed in the gardens and gather lilies is to make sanctification by separating the saint from the unholy and tying them to the vine of the best grapes in the face of the beloved. Lilies represent the image of a person. He gathers lilies. So the Lord views us, you, me, us, together as lilies. Lilies represent the image of a person who walks by faith by virtue of which a person is called a saint or the property of God. Luke chapter 12, verses 27 through 28 says, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So those that are little faith, he placed them opposite of the lilies. He says, Oh, you of little faith, look at the lilies. There are those that are have little faith and those that are lilies, those that are of faith, those that call themselves saints. But in ministry to God, they are based on how they feel and what they feel. They cannot be called a lily and dress in its dignity. These are those that are, have little faith. The antonym of lily is little faith. What is a lily? Lily antonym is little faith because lily comes from the faith that is founded in the Word of God. For this reason, such people, despite their false belief in which they consider themselves saints, are not considered by Scripture to be saints and therefore saved because faith Faith that is present in the lilies is information emanating from the Word of God that abides forever and not a feeling and not prophecies, dreams, and visions, lulling our feelings when we violate the order of God. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, We walk by faith, not by sight. And we walk by faith, by knowledge of the truth, and not by sight. Sight is based on feelings, which so strongly is desired in the churches of God to try to feel something. Scripture says that God gathers His lilies, and this lily is a person who is founded on the truth. And those that are little faith, they are not a lily, and they are founded only on feelings, emotions, prophecies, false, false, re- false revelations that lull his feelings. The sixth component of the powers contained the name Matthew the tax collector as the gatherer of what is holy and binding it to Christ is called to bring the chosen nation nature, nation to triumph on the heights of Zion. Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 10 through 12. Hear the, Lord, hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him. 
and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of one stronger than he. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the Lord, for wheat and new wine and oil, for the young of the flock and the herd. Their souls shall be like a well-watered garden, and they shall sorrow no more at all. We should note right away that in this prophecy there is present the language of time and the language of eternity. When God speaks in this prophecy with the language of eternity, He speaks of Israel like His nation whom He redeemed. When God speaks with the language of time, He speaks of Israel like His nation whom He is going to redeem. And let us remember that speaking of Israel like his own nation, God firstly is referring to the category of people from every tribe, nation, and tongue who have come from the seed of Abraham by faith. Israel is a people called to fulfill the plans and interests of God on planet Earth, the people through which God gets the opportunity to reveal himself to the world. And for his people, to fulfill their calling, they must be scattered by sowing and then gathered by way of harvest. So in order for the people of God to choose the Church of God, in order to fulfill their calling, God always uses, He sows them by way of sowing. Sowing happens when He scatters us, and then harvest when He gathers us. And he again sows us, and then he again gathers us. In the state of a seed, no one could represent the perfection of the guiding light. When the seed dies under the action of dispersion or scattering, then it will bear the fruits of the resurrection. That is why the Lord scatters and then gathers scatters by way of sowing and gathers by way of harvest because all of that which we are we ourselves are this seed this is the state of a seed when we accepted either the promise in the state of a seed or salvation in the state of a seed we cannot represent the perfection of the guiding light guiding light is presented in the format of fruit and to be represented in the format of fruit God needs to scatter then gather scatter and then gather so that which we receive we receive it and offer fruit to God therefore only in a state of harvest will Israel be able to fulfill its destiny and become a guiding light for the nations around it speaking about the remnant of Israel Apostle Paul asks the question in Romans 11 verses 11 through 16 I say then have they stumbled that they should fall this is talking about the Israel people he says, certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now if their fall is riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, and as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. By any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh, and save some of them. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. 
In the same epistle, just a little higher, in chapter 9, Apostle Paul quotes the words of the prophet Isaiah, Romans 9.27. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as a sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. It was necessary for him to scatter Israel, and then he again would gather them. And this would be a large scattering for a duration of 2,000 years. We Gentiles who have accepted the Lord Jesus, the concept of sowing and reaping, it happens in dimension of time. For Israel, this was around 2,000 years. Jesus says, Behold, leaving your house empty, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We will see each other in 2,000 years. There are lots of different missionaries. We will bring the Jews to repentance. We want to go against God. Scripture says that they will come to their repentance and there will be the strongest evangelism when they say, Blessed is the one who comes with his bride from the cloud of glory. And they will bow down before him. This will be the greatest evangelism. Therefore, all of those missions who try to save someone in Israel, this is not of a divine origin. We need to save ourselves. The Lord has scattered Israel so that we, the olive tree, can be partaking to the root of Israel. These are the branches that, that broke. They broke to their unbelief that we, as a wild olive tree, can cling or partake to that place where they were broken off from. And 2,000 years ago, Israel, in their majority, they had broken off. But the root remained. The root, Jesus Christ, remained. Now we Gentiles, on that place where this branch was found but then broke off, we bind ourselves to this as a wild olive tree and have a strong desire for God and zealousy, which the Jews do not have. And our strong desire for God forces us to draw the revelations of God from the root system and to keep this revelation for Israel because it comes through the roots, through the branches, through the bark, and it comes to us, to the wild olive tree, to the Gentiles. This is what kind of strength is needed to take out, to draw out these revelations from this depth. And in doing so, we keep, we save Israel. Mercy is saved for them because of this. But to the end, at the end of age, the Lord is going to cleanse His church. Why? Because He has said that He must take the remnant, the remnant in the face of the people of Israel, and this branch to once again bind. And He will do this when He cleanses His church. When all of those who say, I am holy, they are going to be cut off from this vine. And in their place, Will, will be the natural vine that gets bounded to. All right, well, all right, the Jewish nation, they broke off so that we, a wild olive tree, can could be bound to this root. But they, as a natural branch, will be bound when he cleanses his church and when he breaks off all of those branches that are called the synagogues of Satan. And in their place, he is going to be to bind the natural olive tree. And the Lord very quickly is going to come for the Israel nation. This means that there's going to be a catastrophe that's going to happen in the churches when he comes in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
that catastrophe that happened 2,000 years ago among the Jews, this catastrophe is going to come upon the churches so that God can take Israel and bind them back to the choice, choicest vine. In the thousand-year reign, the choice vine is going to be bound to it. That's why there is something unique that is waiting for us. Because only thanks to scattering, the inheritance of God can come to perfection. James chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. The take a look, a church was formed, and then what happened? They were scattered abroad. It was difficult for them to gather together. They were scattered abroad so that then the Lord can gather them because all of that which they received, they received in the format of a seed. But they have to receive it in the format of the fruit in order to represent the interests of light, the interests of Jesus Christ. And therefore, the apostle turns to the church as to those that are scattered abroad, that are found in the scattering to be with great joy. Greetings, my brethren. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The prophet Isaiah says that this perfection can only happen after the meeting of Israel on the heights of Zion, where he can bestow them with his goodness. But he must gather Israel to the heights of Zion, which indicates the fact that by the end of time, the attitude of the remnant towards Zion, represented by the church, should radically change. And the Lord will do this, that the relationship to the church, to Zion, will change. Scripture says that it is there in Zion that their souls will be like a garden filled with water, and they are not going to uh, languish anymore. Zion is the choicest vine to which we can bind ourselves to, only collaborating with the powers that are contained with the name Matthew the tax collector that is engraved on the eighth foundation of heavenly Jerusalem. And this means that to look at the invisible promises contained for us in Christ Jesus and by cleansing our hearts from a vicious conscience to adhere to the confession of hope without wavering. So, to proclaim the word of God and to hold on to the proclamation without wavering. This was the interesting sixth component that we covered how the lord scattered israel he's he scattered israel thanks to us because we as a wild olive tree can be bound to these to this vine and he will do something when he cleanses his threshing floor and will gather the wheat into his barn he will cleanse his church so the gentiles can once again uh, be bound those that are involved in certain those that are involved with uh, landscaping, they know that in order for something to grow, they have to prune it, they have to cut it off, and then to bind to this part, to bind to this branch that is going to be uh, the Jewish nation. This is a wonderful revelation. This is what awaits the church, what kind of... uh, God wants to tie the Gentiles to his nation. He needs to conduct this cutting off in the church. All those that say they are holy but live as Satan and devil, they have an outward appearance of godliness but have denied its powers. There's going to be a strong um, cutting. This means that the Lord has prepared uh, the church to be tied to 
to his nation Israel. The seventh component of the powers contained in the name Matthew the tax collector is the gather of what is holy and binding unto Christ, are called to glorify the holy name of God and triumph in his praise. First Chronicles chapter 16 verses 35 to 36 and say, Save us, O God of our salvation, gather us together and deliver us from the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. Looking at the numerous Israelites of that time, God, both then and today, sought and is looking for worshippers who make up his hallow, which must be separated from the general mass of those who are called by the preached word about redemption, and they gather them to himself in order to bind them to the vine of the choicest grapes. Only by being attached to the vine of the choicest grapes can they praise the holy name of God and triumph over his praise. As written, Rejoice in the Lord, O your righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Psalms 33, 1. The righteous are people who, first of all, are clothed in the dignity of the disciples of Christ, who distinguish the voice of God in a person from someone with the spirit of the voice of a deceiver. They are those that accept the preached word from the people who are sent by God. Psalms 118 verses 171 through 172 says, My lips shall utter praise when, for you teach me your statutes, my tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. The key to mastering the strategy of praise in this prayer phrase lies in the semantic meaning of the verb teach, meaning I will give you praise when you teach me your statutes. To teach means to send a teacher and mentor, to learn to be a disciple according to your statutes, learn from the statutes to pay the price for discipleship, be trained to act within your statutes, to be instructed in the way of your statutes, to be prepared to comply with the statutes, to be trained to praise the statutes of God. To offer a sacrifice of praise in the order of these statutes, it is necessary to continually observe the connection of praise with the statutes of God. We must always uh, have the tie between the teacher and the student in order to bring a sacrifice of praise. We must continually see the tie between praise with the statutes of God. And praise, translated from Hebrew, is an appraisal of the deeds done by God. It is the releasing of the glory of God hidden in His statutes. It is the demonstration of the virtues of the statutes of God. It is honoring the Word of God hidden in His statutes. The glorification of the wisdom found in the statutes of God. It is a hymn of praise to the words of God reflected in His statutes. It is the manifestation of the power of God proceeding from the statutes of God. Here's what praise means. And the verb to praise means praise means to list the names and titles of God, to list the perfect works of God, thank, thank God for the deeds He has done, to praise God, to remain and not leave your assembly, this is also praise, to be true to your calling, this also means to praise, to study and fulfill God's desires, to rely on God and trust in God. This all is praise unto Him. And in these shades is precisely hidden the components in the purpose of praise, designed to flow in the streams of life from our heart, in the direction to the heart of God, or to gather at the disposal of God. It is those people who are taught praise that God will separate from those who are not taught and will bind them to the choicest vine. 
and we are going to pray and upon this place I will call upon every holy person who wants to be tied to the choicest grapevine you can say Lord I am already tied to the choicest grapevine we are tied to the choicest grapevine but when we sin when we legalize sin when we listen to devil or that lust that is found in us in doing so we cut ourselves off from the choicest grapevine and in order to protect us or to keep us at this choicest grapevine we must uh, confess our sin repent this is the first way from which we begin to tie ourselves to the choicest grapevine we are going to sing a psalm and we wait for you at the altar upon this holy place in order to bind ourselves to the choice grapevine. I will pray with our prayer and I ask you to deeply believe in that God is for you he is not against you he has loved us with an everlasting love and he has given us the work of his redemption he has stood between us and our enemies in order to protect us and to lift us up to his level your eyes closed an element of a mystery room and your hands raised the heavens a symbol that our hands are without anger and doubt please pray together with me Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you and upon this holy place in the congregation of your holy people, I uncover my heart so that you may see my pain, my suffering, my wound that has been brought on by sin and lust which I despise and which I reject. I come to you with my dependencies with sin that has pressured me, with illness, with fears, with a wounded shame, a wounded dignity. And I ask you to forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, 
heal my wound, restore me, protect me by the blood of your Son. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to declare that according to your word, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, I am saved. Your sins are forgiven you and your transgressions in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He come down upon you with His holy countenance and have mercy upon you and give you peace. May around you fall thousands and tens of thousands and not draw near you. May all the blessings of the ancient hills and everlasting mountains come upon you. May with a noise be overthrown from your body the power of death, and in its place may the power of life be erected. May all of this come upon you and upon all of your descendants, and may all the people say, Amen. We will conclude with our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory and unblemished joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and power, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. <laughs>